Right, brothers and sisters, let us open in God's Word to Psalm 96. Psalm 96. And as you know, last Sunday we had a, a guest missionary come in and open God's Word before us as he reminded us of the great commission that Christ gave to his church. And it was a good opportunity for us to hear from him and to be blessed through his ministry of the word. But this morning, I want us to see how Christ's mission for his church relates to our worship of God as the church. And this actually brings us to the very first sermon that I preached here. So if some of you have great memories, you may hear a lot in common with what I preached several years ago, but I still believe that this psalm is a wonderful opportunity for us as we gather together in worship to understand how our worship then connects to our reaching the nations with the gospel. And so I hope it continues to be a blessing to our souls. But as we begin, I think it's helpful to reflect for a moment and answer the question in our own minds, what is your favorite missions hymn? Now, over the years, uh, you have sung different songs in church about missions, and I don't know what may come to your mind in answering that question. What we find, though, is over the centuries that God has blessed his church with a number of edifying hymns to encourage us in our missionary, uh, uh, in our missionary call to the nations. So a few of the songs I've sang since my conversion over the years include Rescue the Perishing, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying, Jesus is Merciful, Jesus Will Save. Or I Love to Tell the Story. I love to tell the story, twill be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I remember seeing Jesus saves. We have heard a joyful sound. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Spread the gladness all around. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward tis our Lord's command. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Of course, we all know that God's desire to reach the nations of the gospel of Jesus Christ is nothing new. And so we find here in Psalm 96 that God has even inspired a missions hymn in his holy book of hymns, his holy hymn book, the Psalms. And so let us then read this psalm this morning as we See how the, 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 the greatness of God fuels our mission's effort and how our worship fuels the mission of the church. Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the people. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful in all that is in it, that all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness, 
and the peoples with this truth. And before we continue, let us again go before our Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, what a beautiful hymn you have inspired for us in the pages of Scripture. May we indeed drink deeply at this well of spiritual revival as we come to see how our worship of you fuels and fans the flame of missions and of spreading the gospel message of Jesus Christ and, and your kingdom around the world. So, Father, we pray that as I'm able to open the word and to proclaim your truth, you will then empower these words through your Holy Spirit to renew our minds, to transform our lives, so that you will be glorified and Christ's name will be exalted. Father, be at work among us here this morning to save souls of sinners and to edify and encourage the saints. Father, we pray for all these things and in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's continue by situating this psalm in the history of God's people Israel. Because if you look at 1 Chronicles chapter 16, for example, we see that King David originally wrote this song when the Ark of God had finally returned to the tabernacle in Jerusalem. And so he gives this psalm to Asaph and his brothers to invoke, to thank, to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. But at the same time, if you look at the uh, the, the inscription of this psalm, those introductory words you see at the beginning of many psalms, that inscription, which is found in the Greek Septuagint and the Latin Vulgate and other ancient translations of the Old Testament, we read this is a song of David when the temple was rebuilt after the captivity. Of course, David was long dead by the time the temple was destroyed and rebuilt after the Babylonian captivity. What seems likely then is that the editor of the Psalms includes this song in light of the dedication of the restored temple in Jerusalem once God's people had returned from Babylonian captivity under God's judgment against them. Do you see then how David had originally called Israel to worship God before the nations when the ark was brought into the tabernacle and now Israel once more is called to be a display people before the nations of the world upon their return to the promised land in a restored temple so that the nations will be drawn with them to worship God. So in this inspired hymn book, this psalm is given by God for his people to regularly sing so that as they sing, the nations will be invited to join with them in the worship of God. Did you hear as the scripture was read this morning of this call to the nations? In verse 1, we read, All the earth! In verse 3, the nations. And in verse 3, all peoples. In verse 5, the peoples. In verse 7, families of the peoples. In verse 9, all the earth. In verse 10, the nations. And then in verse 10, the peoples. In verse 13, the earth, the world, and the peoples. You see, God chose Israel for the sake of the world. And so let's, let's turn briefly to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 to 8. Because what we find is as God has freed his people from slavery in Egypt, and they are about to enter the promised land, him saying here through Moses that they are to live in a way that will draw the nations into covenant with God. 
This is the reason God has separated them from the nations. So Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 to 8. We read, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which is set before you this day? You see, God gave his people Israel this hymn so that they would then, as they are worshiping God and singing these truths, invite the nations to join with them in worship. God gives this hymn to Israel so they would invite the nations to join with them in worship. Why? Well, there's three reasons that are given in the psalm. First, because God is the Savior. See this in verses 1 to 6. Second, because God is glorious. So you see in verses 7 to 9. And then finally, because God is the judge. Verses 7 to 13. So, because God is Savior, because God is glorious, and because God is judge. So let us begin by considering the first reason this morning, because God is the Savior. Again, this is revealed to us in verses 1 to 6. And how does it begin? Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. God created us to sing. Because worship is at the very center of who we are as God's image bearers. We were created by God to express ourselves in song as we worship our Creator. Have you ever noticed how every people and every ethnic group around the world sings? As one scholar notes, ethnomusicologists have found that all societies have music, all people sing, and all cultures have instruments. Isn't that interesting? See, these universal realities can only be explained in light of our God who created us to sing. And notice that we are called to sing three times in the first three lines of this God-given hymn. And in Scripture, a threefold repetition is used as superlative. It's meant to emphasize the importance. It's why we are to sing, sing, sing. And what are we to sing? This first one says we are to sing a new song. What is this new song? Well, it's a song sung in light of God doing something new. And it's ultimately fulfilled as we sing praises to God for salvation in Jesus Christ. That's why we can turn to the last book of the Bible. You can turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5, verses 6 to 10. And of course, here we have the Apostle John who comes into the very throne room of heaven itself and receives this vision to record for the church. And uh, we won't be able to look into the, 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 all the symbolism and, and, and the details of this passage, but I, I just want us to, to briefly understand this new song that God's people are to sing. And so let us read then Revelation 5, verses 6 to 10, where the Apostle John writes of Christ the Lamb, And I looked, and behold... In the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. 
that he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang what? A new song. They sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. We sing a new song because of the salvation we receive in Jesus Christ. Because in the midst of our rebellion against God and sin, Jesus in love is slain under the very wrath of God in our place. And it's because of his shed blood of dying on the cross under the judgment of God that we deserve. That we are redeemed. We are ransomed. We are set free from our slavery to sin as God's people who are saved by the grace of Christ and His sacrifice for us. What can we then do but rejoice and sing to the Lord a new song and encourage all the earth to join in singing this new song? But then in verse 2, in light of His salvation, what do we go on to see in Psalm 96? Sing to the Lord, bless His name. See, we are to delight in God and bless His name in thanksgiving. And since in the Bible, a name represents the person bearing the name, we bless God's name because of who He is. That's why when Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, how does it begin? Our Father, chart in heaven, hallowed be thy name we are to hallow or sanctify the name of god because his name represents him but not only do we bless his name we go on to read in verse 2 we proclaim the good news of his salvation you see, while Israel was slaved out of slavery from Egypt to be God's people in his land and under his rule, their salvation then served as a display of the greater salvation that God promised his people through Christ. And it is this salvation from sin in Christ that Israel is not only waiting for, but singing about. But did you notice how often we're to proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. From day to day. This is more than the church's formal weekly gatherings, right? But this is a daily lifestyle that God's people are to have. Because our lives should be filled with worship and with bringing the good news of salvation to our neighbors and the nations. Which brings us to verse 3. Stephen Lawson actually calls Psalm 96.3 the Great Commission of the Old Testament. Listen to these words. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among all peoples. See, those who truly know God bear a responsibility to declare His glory among the nations through His gospel. And we yearn to do so when we remember His wonders in our own lives. Then we come to verse 4, where we praise God for who He is after praising Him for what He's done. Because our worship of God includes both the works of God and the name of God. Look at verse 4. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. The Lord is greatly to be praised. And God is so great that His praise must be greater than from Israel alone. 
See, the more peoples who join in praising him, the more greatly he will be praised. But there's a contrast here between our great God, who is worthy to be praised, and all the other gods which the nations place their hope in. Because God alone is to be feared. He's to be feared above all gods. A fear here is not speaking of being scared, but of having a reverence and awe of the greatness of our God. And this fear cannot be shared with other gods. So we respect God alone for who He is and recognize our position in light of His infinite worth. Which is why we read in verse 5 that anything worshipped other than God is a worthless idol. Verse 5, For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. See, these other supposed gods are really nothings. And here God convicts the nations of worshiping gods which do not exist and which cannot save. So Israel, in singing this psalm, is calling the nations to forsake their gods, forsake Chemosh, forsake Marduk, forsake Baal. And today, we through our worship, are calling the nations to forsake Islam's Allah, to forsake the African tribal deities, to forsake the prosperity gospel's false genie in a bottle god. Because unlike these false gods, God alone is the one who we recognize as our creator. And his creation reflects his perfections. then brings us to verse 6 where David reveals more about our great God by describing him with two pairs of words. We read, Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in a sanctuary. Honor and majesty. Both referring to the supreme greatness of God over his creation. And when these two are brought together, they intensify to mean God's royal glory, before which we should bow in reverent submission. And we also read of his strength and beauty, because God's powerfulness here. We also read all together with his satisfying excellence. God is all-powerful, and we will never reach down to the unsearchable depth of his beauty. Consider this is the great God who saves our souls, and this is the God whom we worship. And since God alone saves and the false gods of the nations are worthless idols, this means our faith stands as an exclusive religion. And that the only hope for the nations is found in this God. Now this is compared by a, a, a common story, an alternative way of understanding the religions of the world. You, you may have heard of it before, but uh, it's the uh, blind men and the elephant. Remember this story? So you have a number of blind men, and, and they're in a room with an elephant, but uh, they, they all touch different parts of the elephant. And so you have a, a blind man, and he comes up, and he feels the elephant's trunk. And uh, as he feels the trunk, he says, oh, well, the, the elephant must be like a snake. And someone else goes up to the elephant's tusk, and he feels the tusk, and he says, no, no, the elephant is like a spear. Well, someone else comes up to the side of the elephant, and he feels the, the side of the elephant, and he says, no, no, the elephant is like a wall. And someone feels the, the leg of the elephant. They say, no, no, the, the elephant is like a tree. Someone feels another part of the, the ear of the elephant. He says, no, the, the elephant is like a fan. And then someone feels the elephant's tail. And he says, no, the elephant is like a rope. And, and what's the idea? That they're all grasping at part of the truth. 
but no one can know the fullness of who God is. But what's the problem of this story? Someone does know the fullness of who God is, of the elephant. It's the storyteller. This itself is a religious understanding of God that assumes there's an elephant that everybody else is trying to figure out. It's, it's the storyteller who knows the truth of the elephant. See, brothers and sisters, there's a better way of understanding the world in which we live. Yes, we are blind and struggling to understand God in this world. But in the grace and love of God, He gives sight to the blind. And He causes us to see the fullness of who He is so that we can then proclaim who He is through Jesus Christ to the nation so they too can receive sight and believe in Christ. That's why Edmund Clowney when he talks about bringing the gospel to those who worship idols, writes, the word of God is to be brought in whatever situation with the boldness of those whose hearts are filled with praise. You see the connection between our worship of God and the greatness of our God and our going to the nations to proclaim His salvation when the nations declare His glory to them. So I ask you this morning, is your life devoted to worshiping this God and of telling His salvation and proclaiming the good news of His salvation from day to day? All of you here know how much I love Spurgeon. So let me quote again from the great Baptist preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He writes of the psalm, The gospel is the clearest revelation of God Himself. Salvation outshines creation and providence. Therefore, let our praises overflow in that direction. Let us proclaim the glad tidings and do so continually, never ceasing the blissful testimony. It is ever new, ever suitable, ever sure, ever perfect. Therefore, let us show it forth continually until he come, both by words and deeds, by songs and sermons, by sacred baptism and by the Holy Supper, by books and by speech, by Sabbath services and weekday worship. Each day brings us deeper experience of our saving God. Each day shows us anew how deeply men need his salvation. Each day reveals the power of the gospel. Each day the Spirit strives with the sons of men. Therefore, never pausing, be it ours to tell out the glorious message of free grace. Brothers and sisters, as we worship, we invite the nations to join with us. Because God is the Savior. But then we come to the second reason we invite the nations to join with us in worship, and that's given in verses 7 and 9. Because God is glorious. See, in light of God's attributes or the descriptions of God as revealed to us and who He's revealed Himself to be, we are called to worship Him. And, and what word is used? Verses 7 to 8. Give to the Lord, O families of the people. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Give credit or ascribe or affirm. Did you notice that as with the call to sing, this call to give is also repeated three times? Once more, a superlative call. Give, give, give. And this is a universal call to worship God. Who is to give to the Lord? The families of the peoples who join in worshiping our glorious God. But do you see how much the worship of God will impact his creation here? He does not simply say, give to the Lord, O peoples, right? What does he say? Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. So we move from the peoples to even smaller groupings down to all families or clans or tribes. 
And we worship the Lord, we go on to see, because of his glory and strength. Which means that no matter how glorious or how strong the nations may consider themselves, they only exist because of the power and the pleasure of God himself. He is the one who is glorious. And since God deserves all glory, we're to devote our lives to worshiping him. That's what we go on to see. Give the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Now, God called his people Israel to present offerings in the courts of the tabernacle and the temple for worship, which are explained in detail, for example, in the book of Leviticus. And while we can get lost in the details of all the instructions that God gives for his worship in Leviticus, we must not miss that in revealing to them how he wants to be worshipped, he is providing them with an opportunity for his people to worship him. Do you see here how the nations are then called to join in with the worship of the Jews? Since God is the Lord of all peoples. But you may remember how the, the Gentile nations around Israel were unclean and not allowed into the courts of the sanctuary. So here we see a veiled promise of God one day breaking down the dividing wall of hostility through Christ. Which is why on this side of the cross we no longer make these offerings in the temple since Christ has become our perfect sacrifice in our temple. But as the Apostle Paul reminds us, Romans 12, verse 1, we are still to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service or our spiritual worship. And in light of our God being glorious, we then see in verse 9 that how we worship him matters. Again, let's look at verse 9. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, tremble before him, all the earth. And sisters, our God is glorious and he is holy. He is exalted above his creation and is completely separate from his creation. And so in his holiness, God is also morally pure and absolutely distinct and separate from all moral evil or sin. And so in light of the splendor of his holiness, we must approach the worship of God in humble reverence. Which is why we have here the imagery of trembling before him. Have you ever thought of, as we were worshiping God in the church, trembling before our holy God. This language is used as if we are to bow down before God and prostrate ourselves in humble submission because it expresses our profound awe before our King. You know, I keep referring back to Hebrews 12, verses 28 to 29 in this series on worship, but how important they are. Again, Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. So how do you think of God? Is he glorious? Is he holy? Is he a consuming fire that we approach with reverence and awe? So let me be honest, all too often, this isn't how I approach God in worship. Because I lose the sight of how glorious God is. And I become concerned with the things of this world and the busyness of my day-to-day -day life to where I forget God is glorious. And then worship simply becomes a weekly motion that I go through. And all too often, we as a church can even encourage this in this atmosphere 
by simply treating our gathering as a casual meeting between God's people rather than entering into the very presence of God himself. Oh, if you were like me, repent of your selfishness and worldliness. Reflect on who God is in all His glory and holiness by studying His attributes and rejoice in the glory of God which will then drive us to desire to share His salvation with others. See, we invite the the nations to join with us in worship because God is the Savior and because God is glorious. But there's one more reason we find here in this psalm in verses 10 to 13. The third reason is because God is the judge. In our worship, we praise God as the ruler over all creation. And his throne is over far more than the nation of Israel because he is the king over the world. And so we read in verse 10 to say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. So we must say among the nations, the Lord reigns. This is not simply a desire for them to know that the Lord reigns or a hope that they will know the Lord reigns. But they need to hear about our Lord and His reign from the voice of His church. Which is why we then carry out this mission of saying among the nations, the Lord reigns. Because God has established the world and it shall never be moved. See, nothing can frustrate the purposes of God and the plan of God in His creation. Think about it. Unlike the governments of this world, we have a God who rules fairly as the King over all. Which means that when we look around us at a world which seems out of control, as we listen to the news and all of the the, the wickedness that is among us, There's so much sin and evil that surrounds us. We do not need to despair because the Lord reigns. And we look forward to a day when Christ will return to restore a new heaven and a new earth where the dwelling place of God is with man. And He will dwell with us. And we will be His people and God Himself will be with us and be our God. a wonderful future we have to look forward to through Christ. So we have this security and this assurance of the Lord's reign over this world and Him judging righteously. But then we come as this psalm continues, verses 11 to 13, to see that creation itself joins in our worship. Here, the things in our world are personified in their worship. And so we read, uh, let's, let's look, verse 11. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful in all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. Creation itself will worship our God. And let's look, you can turn with me to Romans 8. We read more about this. Romans 8, verses 18 to 23. The Apostle Paul shares how creation itself is actually yearning for this future. You see, our, 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 our sin and rebellion against God not only impacted our lives and brought us under a curse, but brought all of our creation, all of God's creation under a curse. And so we read in Romans 8, Verses 18 and 23. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. 
because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Creation itself is groaning as we groan for the end of such sin and unrighteousness in the world. And we praise God who is the one who judges all in righteousness. This brings us then to the end of the psalm in verse 13, where I read, For He is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth, and he shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. So justice is coming because God will one day judge the world. But there are two responses to this fact. There are two responses to this future. Joy and terror. See, if you are counted among Christ's people, and you are in Christ as He is your Savior, then listen, God's judgment should bring joy to your heart. Because His righteousness and truth guarantee your eternal life in His presence, no matter how much suffering and hardship you face in this world. But if you are not in Christ, then God's judgment should bring terror to your soul. Because His righteousness and truth will expose your sin and rebellion against Him. And you await a sentence of condemnation and punishment for your sin, where you will be eternally punished under the wrath of God in hell. You see then that while God is reigning now in this world, that Jesus will be installed as King when He returns means I hope we'll all wrestle with this question. Does this truth cause you to rebel and revolt against your king? As you prefer to live your life as if he doesn't exist or, or that he doesn't have the right to rule over you? Because listen, if so, you will be condemned one day as a traitor to your king and suffer eternally for your continued rebellion against him. Oh, turn from your hatred for His love and repentance and embrace in faith the, the freeness of the grace of Jesus Christ who died out of love for sinners like you and me. Repent of your sins and receive Christ as your Savior. Because if you are trusting in Christ, then you can rest in His present and future reign. No matter how hard things get, no matter how uncertain the future is, no matter what may even happen to you physically in this world, your very soul is secure in Christ. You are secure in Christ's love which gives you the freedom to live in light of your eternal life in Him. Which is why then we can say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Do you see then how God gave this hymn to Israel so that they would invite the nations to join with them in worship? But as we reflect for a moment upon the history of Israel, what do we find through the Old Testament? For those of you who know your Old Testament history, Israel failed to follow God's call to the nations, didn't they? Rather than seeing their being chosen by God as a stewardship, they proudly saw His choice of them as a superiority. But the good news is where Israel failed, Christ succeeded. 
And as Christ promised through his sacrificial death and burial and resurrection, he said, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And that is what he continues to do through our, our church and through all churches as we worship God and invite the nations to join with us in worshiping Him by proclaiming the good news of His salvation from day to day and declaring His glory among the nations and His wonders among all peoples. You see, this drawing takes place through His church, declaring His glory among the nations and His wonders among all peoples because Jesus has entrusted this ministry to His church. Before He ascended to heaven, we all know the words. They're the ones we heard last week. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. For behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is our mission. So let us invite the nations to join with us in worship. Let us invite the nations to join with us in worship. Why? Because God is the Savior. Because God is glorious. And because God is the judge. Now what does a church which invites the nations to join us in worship look like? Well, first, it's a church that worships Christ as the Savior and which tells of His salvation to our neighbors. The nations begin in our neighborhoods among those who continue to be lost in their sins and under the judgment of God. So the, a church, as a church, we must worship Christ and proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day throughout our community. And among those who are around us. But this is also a church that will then send people to the nations so that they will believe in Christ and worship Him. They will join with us in light of that glorious future that is portrayed in Revelation 5 that we read earlier. This will also be a church that provides ongoing prayer and support and encouragement to its missionaries why we pray every Sunday for the ministry of the Word to continue around the globe and to reach the peoples of the world who have not yet heard of the Gospel or had the Word of God translated for them to see the beauty of Christ. Brothers and sisters, may this describe Cornerstone. Where our worship will invite our neighbors and the nations to join with us in singing of Christ's salvation. You see, then, the centrality of our mission, even as we meet with God in worship. You know, through this series, we've seen several truths about our meeting with God in worship. We've seen that God calls our meeting, that God schedules our meeting. That God runs our meeting. That God transforms our meeting. And today we see that God invites the nations to join our meeting with Him in worship. So let me once more quote from John Piper. I, I use this quote frequently, but it's so helpful to remind us of this relationship between our worship of God and our mission through Christ. Piper writes, Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. Brothers and sisters, may we be a people 
who worship God and proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day, who declare His glory among the nations and His wonder among all peoples, beginning in our own neighborhoods and reaching out to the very nations of the world. Let us pray. Oh, Father, what a precious hymn you have inspired for your people through this song. May we then sing to you a new song as we sing to you these truths and invite the nations to join with us of your greatness because you are the Savior, because you are glorious, and because you are the judge. May these then not merely be words that we sing out of our mouths, but they will be the words that are the overflow of a heart that is rejoicing in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And may we then more and more grow in having His heart for the nations so that we can look forward to the day when all of the peoples of the world will be gathered around Your throne to sing a new song of salvation through Jesus Christ. So Father, we pray for all these things in the name of our King, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters,